In a small Manhattan elevator car, the members of Guy, Timmy Gatling, Teddy Riley, and Aaron Hall, stand nervously. They're on their way to meet with Jane Griffin, Timmy and Teddy's ex-manager. Teddy Riley hasn't laid eyes on Gene since he went to prison for selling heroin three years before. Teddy did not want to meet with Gene at all. Their band Kids at Work had been so close to success they could taste it. Then Gene had to go and get arrested. Teddy Riley remembers, and he's not really sure about bringing Gene back into the mix. Timmy was like, you know, Gene is out of jail. I said, oh yeah? And I didn't really like was overly surprised or, you know, happy about it. You know, I just said, okay. But Timmy feels like he has a responsibility to make Guy a success, and that involves Gene. I felt like, oh, we need someone that looked apart that could be our manager. They meet Gene in his palatial hotel suite. He looks just the same. Bald head, tinted glasses, fly clothes, but his attitude is different. He's humbler, soft-spoken even, grateful that they've come to see him. And that's when Gene said, just give me an opportunity to do this and whatever. Timmy lays it out for Gene, what they want his role to be. Just be our mouthpiece. We handle everything, just be our mouthpiece. I just thought somebody that can represent us, flash and whatever. Gene nods along in agreement. He was just laid back. Just, oh, whatever y'all say, I just want to support. It was that type a meeting. Whatever y'all do, I just want to support. By the end of the meeting, it's settled. Gene's gonna be their representative, not their manager exactly, but he'll help them shop around their demo tape, help them get a record deal. Gene seems to have mellowed out. Maybe the boys think Gene can help them get to the next level, or maybe it's a huge mistake. Had Tammy not go to Gene, I think a whole We'd be together today. Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery. Code Wondery. From Wondery and Universal Music Group, I'm Taraji P. Henson, and this is Jack. This is episode two, The Devil's Nectar. When Timmy Gatlin goes home and tells his girlfriend Veronica that he's back in business with Jane Griffin again, 
she has her doubts. Now, Tim and I did have a lot of cogent conversations about the upside and the downside. But she can see that Tim's mind is made up. He had a lot of stock, emotional stock in Gene Griffin. And he was so connected to what Gene did for them and kids at work. He took them from nothing and they were able to travel and have nice clothes and go to concerts. Timmy thought Gene's arrest had been a fluke. So he didn't have a bad taste in his mouth. He only saw that Gene could help them, not hurt them. In fact, when it comes to the group's image, Timmy thinks that Gene's gangster past isn't necessarily a liability for God. In Tim's mind, Gene was the right fit. Gene had the style, he had the intellect, and he had the street. And that was the sound. That was what Tim wanted to look to be. He wanted them to look sharp, but have that edge and be relatable on a street level, yet be global, if you will. So Gene has the right attitude, the right reputation. But the real question is, after a prison stint for trafficking heroin, does he still have the right connections? Gene's been shopping Guy's demo tape around town. I still have my robe on, laying in the bed. I had a green robe on, laying in the bed. Now, he's calling Timmy with an update. And he said, we can't get a deal. I tried, but we just can't do it. And I said, what you mean you can't do it? I said, Gene, seriously? Gene claims the problem isn't him. It's the music. A lot of people said, we sound too much like the Gap Band. What were we trying to do? We trying to turn back the hands of time. But Timmy thinks that's bull. He knows the music is good, knows it in his bones. And now he starts to wonder, maybe Gene doesn't even have the juice he had before. And that's the first time I seen that Gene was on our level. That's the first time I seen that, damn, Gene ain't this guy that I thought could just go in and whatever. But one thing about Timmy Gatling, his faith in himself is unflappable. If Gene Griffin can't get them a record deal, he'll do it his damn self. I said, well, put the ball in my hands. I'm going to see what I could do. Days later, Timmy is sitting in the lobby of Tommy Boy Records, one of the most successful independent hip-hop and R.B. labels in the city. Timmy fidgets nervously with the three-song guy demo tape. He's got another friend along with him, someone who helped him get this meeting, David Peasley. He was my dear, 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 dear friend, and he doesn't get a lot of credit at all. Matter of fact, he was a white gay guy. Peasley's a journalist, an early supporter of Teddy and Timmy's. And he even supported us financially. He was a catalyst because he didn't want us to go back to the streets. Peasley's connections got them in the door here at Tommy Boy. But now they've got to win over the label's head of A&R, Monica Lynch, a punk rock redhead from Chicago who's notoriously picky. And when we played the three songs on the cassette tape, Monica listened to them. And Monica said, hold on a minute. She got up, went out, and brought Tom Silverman back in the room. Tom Silverman's the boss. Like, (laughs) the Tommy and Tommy boy. He listens, no expression. Both he and Monica got a good poker face. Monica said, y'all just wait. Do y'all want any water? Do y'all want any sodas or anything? Me and David said, nah, we good. Not knowing what they were thinking. They both got up and left out. And when they returned, they said, we want to offer you guys a deal. Just like that. 
Tommy's a no-nonsense guy. He asks Timmy straight up, how much do you all want? And Timmy says, I'm not thinking. I said it got to be at least over 180000 He said, what about if we give you two I've never seen no money like that in my life. So my toes are squishing in my shoes, my ass is sweating. But I'm like, oh, my goodness. We just hit the lot of And I said, okay, if you do 240 would that be a problem? He said, okay, you got it. Bring the rest of the guys in tomorrow. Timmy can barely contain his excitement. When Timmy comes back to Tommy Boy the next day with his whole group, Dave Peasley isn't with him. Gene is. And I seen Gene Griffin change in a split second. I saw Gene go from being, having fake humility to all of a sudden, I'm the boss again. Tom Silverman shares the offer he made to Timmy the day before. Gene looks unimpressed. And Gene kept saying, well, that's kind of low. And that's the first time I heard Gene really start talking up again, becoming his old self. And he kept saying, that's kind of low. I don't know. That's kind of low. And I said, what do you mean that's kind of low? And Gene put his hands up basically to say, yo, I got this. And that's the first time I saw Gene, oh, this getting back to who he was. With an offer in hand, now Gene goes back around to the same labels that passed on Guy the first time. And that's when we met Andre. Andre Harrell. Timmy had met him once before when Andre was part of the rap duo Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, opening for kids at work in Boston. Harrell's career has been building. He now has his own label, Uptown Records. Andre was a dear friend of mine, and he always had impeccable taste and talent. He could just see the it factor in an up-and-coming star. He had the Midas touch. And in 1987, he wants Guy on his label. And Andre took us to a restaurant called Sylvia's in New York. Andre took me to Sylvia's as well. And baby, if you like soul food, Sylvia's is the place to be. And Andre... Was telling him what he would do for us and all of this. And we need to be on this young black label. And he's just hyping it up. It's going to be the biggest label known to man. It's going to be the new Motown. Andre Harrell is ambitious. Boy, I mean ambitious. And the vision for Uptown's artist he lays out at Sylvia's over the best uh, soul food in Harlem, it matches Timmy's vision for Guy perfectly. Harrell's got that same love of high style and swagger. He takes his taste in clothes from the drug dealers and hustlers of Harlem, their flash, how they floss and flaunt their wealth. Unfortunately, Andre passed away earlier this year before we could talk to him for this series. But here he is speaking at the South by Southwest Music Conference a few years back. I always said, imagine if young people could do this legally, have this kind of swag and attitude, like having a convertible Benz is nothing. Having a, on this $10,000 watch is nothing. And I said, if I ever start a record company, I'm going to make my artists be like that. He even came up with the name for it, Ghetto Fabulous. The members of Guy love Andre's vision. This fly style is what Timmy and the crew are all about. But Gene ain't convinced yet. And now Gene got leverage. Now, all of a sudden, immediately, he's the mouthpiece because he'd been there before. He said, listen, Tommy Boy offered us $350,000. You can't come better with that. We'd be good. The two music moguls stare at each other across the checkered tablecloth. Andre is the first to blink. First, Andre said, okay, I could do four. He said, nah, if we could do four, we could go to Tommy Boy. And then we said, okay, let's stop the bull. I give y'all got 500,000. Is that good? 500,000? 
Nobody has ever left Sylvia's happier than the members of God. Come on, ghetto kids brought up on welfare? $500,000? My parents ain't never seen nothing like that. Gene got him a better deal. And Timmy realizes maybe he was right to bring Gene back in after all. I'm rough and tough and all that stuff. I make you dance and friend till you hop and puff. There's just no way you can get enough of me. Yo, mister. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code AUDIO to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code AUDIO at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code AUDIO. It's early 1988. Guys just got a record deal for a half a million bucks. So Gene Griffin takes the guy crew for a night out on the town to celebrate. They meet up at the downtown apartment he shares with his girlfriend, Donna. Timmy brings his fiance, Veronica. It was small. I think it was like a one-bedroom. But in terms of us coming from the projects in the tenement house, it was beautiful. It was like the recessed lighting that we didn't have in the projects. It was like this great scene that is like, wow, you walk into. And Donna's still getting dressed, and Gene comes out. He was always impeccably dressed. And so he looks great, and I have on a black dress with some great heels, and Tim has on a great outfit. Teddy and Aaron are there. Veronica thinks they're just about to head out, but then Gene brings everyone into the living room where there's a stack of documents on the coffee table. And he, with his gruff voice, was like, you guys got to sign this paper. You got to sign this tonight so we can get on and do this business. Timmy looks at the stack of papers. And Gene was rushing us to sign these damn contracts. It was kind of like this bait and switch kind of feeling. That's like we all dressed up. We're going out to this great place, going out to this great restaurant that we couldn't afford. Certainly none of the three group members could afford. So it was that intoxication of, I'm going to show you this great life you could have, but you got to sign this paper first. Teddy and Aaron are eager to just sign the damn thing. Get to dinner. But Timmy holds back. I was looking through it real quick and going through Exhibit A, Exhibit B, and I didn't know half the words I was looking at. But when I saw the words in perpetuity, the word in perpetuity back then, I said, I got to find out what that word means. I didn't know that it meant forever. He doesn't understand all the legalese, but he catches enough of it to know he doesn't like what it says. And Gene will own a name and Gene will do this and that. But when I saw all four of our names down as members of God, I was like, Gene ain't no member of God. Teddy and Aaron seem okay with signing, but Timmy's keeping his options open. And Tim and I looked at each other. We was like, no, we ain't signing nothing tonight. <laughs> no, it's not going to happen. I'm like, no, I'm not signing that. So that was a big thing. Still, 
Dinner that night is beautiful. Everyone puts the contract tensions aside and they celebrate. Timmy's feeling confident about their future. They've got a big record deal. And when Veronica gets a good job down in Virginia... Tim decided he was going to move with me because by now they had the record deal. Tim felt secure. Timmy and Veronica moved to Arlington, a quiet suburb of D.C. Trees, green, nice brownstones, nice homes, nice doors, even though it was still close to home. Like, you can get on the New Jersey Turnpike and be back in New York in four hours, you know? But it was still far away where you could be in a whole nother different place. Timmy still gets to New York when he needs to be there. And now, guys got money to pay for legit studio time, so it's on. <laughs> Teddy takes the tracks that they taped at his apartment in the projects and starts polishing them at Hillside Studios in New Jersey. It's a state-of-the-art space squeezed into the basement of a house. Day Bennett's the engineer, who happens to be Tony Bennett's son. I met Teddy when he was 17, and, you know, I knew from the first date I worked with him, he said natural. Today, Teddy's laying down some keyboard tracks. But the interesting thing about the first guy record was every day Teddy would show up and then across the console from me, he would set up his keyboards on the other side so we were looking at each other. And that first album in its entirety is Teddy playing the keyboards live. That whole album is Teddy Riley live, straight up. Teddy rips it up. This guy's clearly special. And in the industry, word's getting around about Teddy's musical prowess. It's not just the guy record. Teddy's producing for other artists, too. Lots of them. He was like a fire hose of creativity. He had so many tracks that he could, every day we were just going around the clock, doing one act after the other. I, they all kind of blurred together with me after a while. Timmy, Teddy, and Aaron are spending a lot of time together in the studio. We were so focused, we would spend damn near every day and every night together producing and writing. So when Gene came along and was in the studio, it was like, okay, I didn't really see the difference. But Timmy starts to notice something changing about the way Gene is treating the members of the group. At first, he played that big brother-father figure to all of us. But when we were putting together Guy... As Guy puts the finishing touches on the album, Gene seems to be paying a lot more attention to Teddy. I would come home and tell my girlfriend, yo, they act a little funny. I don't know what's going on. I can't put my finger on it. But now Gene is like sitting right behind Teddy. And I'm like, that's weird, but okay. Other people are noticing the changes too. Friends see Teddy starting to dress like Gene. Around Harlem, you might even see Gene and Teddy out together in matching fur coats. One person says Teddy starts dressing like mini Gene. And that's not even the weirdest part. Teddy was calling Gene dad and pops. And introducing Gene to people as his godfather? That's when I was like, what the f is this? What relationship is this? I couldn't understand it. Then one day... We was all in the studio remixing and re-recording the guy record. The groups crowded together in the tiny mixing booth at Hillside Studios. Now, this place is small, and those close quarters mean little things don't go unnoticed. As they finish up their session, Teddy gets up. And a business card fell out of Teddy's pocket. We was all leaving, matter of fact, at times. So I reached down just to hand my brother his card. But when I flipped the card over, it said GR Productions. 
GR Big Lettuce Productions. So I'm thinking, or I'm hoping, Gatlin Riley. But then he looks closer. It says Griffin and Riley? What the hell? I called Gene and Teddy out right there. We was getting ready to leave out the studio. I said, yo, what's this, dude? And he said, took the card and just looked at me with that scary puppy dog scared look on his face. I'm like, yo, y'all got a production deal? And Gene just rushed and said, we talk about it later. We talk about it later. The situation is starting to come into focus for Timmy. Gene treated all of us like equal at first, but that was just to get in real deep. But once he got in, Teddy became his son, all that. And Timmy? Well, he might just be the odd man out. And all of a sudden, Teddy's demeanor started to change. Then Aaron's demeanor started to change. When Guy's debut album is ready to drop in the spring of 1988, Timmy's at home in his studio apartment in Arlington, Virginia. All signs look like the album's gonna be big. We had a single going up the charts with a bullet. My posters, my pictures was everywhere. Imagine that. But Timmy's nervous. And it's not just pre-album release jitters. I was wondering why I haven't heard from Gene and Teddy in it for a long time. I'm like, oh, damn, a week or two went by. Ain't nobody calling me. So I called up Gene. Veronica listens in. She has to. The whole apartment's just one room. So I could tell by his tone that something wasn't right. But he said, you want to go and get married, huh? You want to do what you want to do, huh? Jean's never approved of Timmy's engagement. Says it'll hurt Guy's sexy bachelor image. I said, Gene, I'm a grown-ass man. You can't tell me who I love and shouldn't love and whatever. He said, okay, well, since I can't, we're going to go another route. We're going to go with the other options. I'm like, what what are you talking about? He said, me and Aaron and Teddy decided you are no longer needed in Guy. I'm like, what? What the? He said, the only way you can get back, I don't want you to bring my TV from Virginia and take it to New York. So I knew then he was trying to punk me. I knew then it could have been drugs in that TV. It could have been anything. They wanted to get me out the way. And I cursed Gene out. I said, you the lowest scum of the scum of the scum. I said, you a grown ass man still trying to benefit off of some young kid's dream. Four letter language, some cursing went back and forth, you know, F that, you know, kind of language. And Gene told him, he abruptly, well, you out of the group. I said, is Teddy there, Aaron there? He said, don't worry about it. You know, it was just, Tim couldn't quite comprehend. He understood the words, but not the meaning. And conversation was over. Phone hangs up. I could be totally honest with you. I cried like a baby, not because I was scared of Gene, but because I'm like, I created this. I can't, I, God brought me the name, the vision, the style, the clothes. I wrote all of the songs, all of the lyrics. I arranged everything with Teddy. So to be removed from that, that broke my heart. With Timmy gone, the remaining members of Guy will have to find a new member to take his place. They won't have to look far. Do you ever feel like you're settling? For your foundation, that is. Maybelline's new Instant Age Rewind Eraser Foundation doesn't settle into fine lines and wrinkles. 
with SPF 20 and moisturizing pro-vitamin B5. This foundation not only provides medium coverage in a natural finish, but also protects and nourishes your skin. And the best part? The blurring sponge tip applicator makes application a breeze. Say goodbye to cakey, uneven foundation and hello to a flawless, radiant complexion. Try our new foundation today and see the difference for yourself at amazon.com slash instant eraser foundation. Damien Halls, a sophomore at Virginia State University. Aaron came down to my school and he was like, yo, I'm about to be famous. Damien? is Aaron Hall's brother. I'm like, you about to be famous? What are you talking about? Damien can sing almost as good as his brother can. He and Aaron have been in church choirs and bands together since they were little. I was a serious church boy. I was, Jesus is the light, the light of the world, and y'all all need to get your life right, and don't do not cuss, don't drink, don't you dare have sex, don't you do anything. And I was really serious about that, you know what I mean? Damien's also a good drummer. And with the Guy album heading towards release and things getting problematic in the group between Timmy Gatling and the rest of them, Aaron thinks maybe his brother can help. I didn't give a damn about being in no R&B group. I cared everything about my brother and whatever he wanted. That's why I left Virginia State University to come and fulfill a third of his dream. Damien arrives at Soundworks Studios in Manhattan. Aaron's there and so is Teddy, putting some finishing touches on the Guy album. Timmy? Hmm. He isn't there that day. And I went downstairs and I saw this guy, Teddy, with this four-finger ring and this big mink coat on. I was like, what in the hell? Who is this? You know what I'm saying? Like, he was mixing Groove Me. And the ain't over part came from a mistake. Like, the tape did something, and he said, whoa, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. It ain't over. That's how that came in. It was a mistake. And I was just in awe of it. And then in walks Gene Griffin. He came to me immediately. What up, Damien? Sign right here. Gene slaps down a contract. <laughs> it wasn't even like a hello. It was like, sign here. I was like, what? And I said, come on, man, we got to sign so we, so we can come out. I was like, okay, brother. I signed the contract. Got a copy of the contract. Took it to my attorney, and my attorney said, I pray to God you didn't sign this contract. I said, I signed the contract already. I'm sorry. So he said, well, good luck, because you, none of you, he said, none of you own anything. It's basically the contract Timmy refused to sign. It says Gene's officially a fourth member of the group, and he gets most of the rest of the band's royalties. But Aaron and Teddy both seem to trust Gene, and Damien's impressed by the man. For one thing... I'm a martial artist. He's a martial artist. He took Gujaru. I took Shotokan. So that's it. Damien Hall signs. He's now the third member of Guy. He doesn't know much about the drama going on with Timmy, and he doesn't really want to. They had a little misunderstanding between Timmy, some members of the group, Gene Griffin, God bless his soul, and Gene wasn't taking that. Gene was a, a very no-nonsense my way, nobody else way type of person. So whatever it is that Timmy did, and you know, we never got into that because that wasn't my business. I have nothing against Timmy. I didn't I didn't know him that well at all in any capacity. 
It was Timmy's gone. We need a third member. Who is going to be? Yo, Aaron, Aaron's brother looks cool. He can fit the part. They look alike. Why not? Timmy was being played. That's Gene's former A&R man, Royal Band. He didn't know it, okay? Timmy was being played because Timmy had a lot of influence with certain companies like MCA. He was able to go in and out. He knew people. He was able to walk in these certain places and do, do stuff and talk his way in. But he couldn't deliver the full, the kapow, you know? Teddy was that person who could deliver the kapow. <laughs> and then when he had a little riff with Gene, Gene told me that he was causing problems <laughs> internally in the group. <laughs> and, you know, I guess talking to different people about whatever and showing disgruntledness and... That's how he got, got the foot. On September 15, 1988, a sleek Mercedes rolls towards Harlem's famous Apollo Theater. On the marquee, Guy. Tonight, Teddy Riley, Aaron Hall, and Damian Hall, not Timmy, will be headlining at one of the most legendary stages on Earth. Not only that, the show's gonna be taped for the nationally syndicated TV show, Showtime at the Apollo. And just to make the whole deal as crazy as humanly possible, Groove Me and other Teddy Riley produced songs are blasting out of every car stereo. Hanging out near the Apollo's backstage entrance is a young journalist, a Harlem native named Barry Michael Cooper. He's writing a cover story for The Village Voice, and the scene outside the theater is giving him plenty to write about. What I also saw was the young drunk dealers, you know, and the Alfa Romeos and the Porsches pulling up, and they were all playing Teddy Riley. They were all playing Groovy. They were all playing I Wanna. They were all playing Go See the Doctor. So it was just surreal, man. As the group gets hustled backstage, they know well they can't take the Apollo audience's love for granted. Apollo audiences are tough. Guy has still barely performed together as a live act. Damien Hall's especially nervous. He hasn't been part of the group very long. I won't lie, I didn't go like, James Brown was on the stage, Stevie Wonder was on the stage. All I thought about was, we have to do what we do. Whatever that was, we really, we still was figuring us out. You know what I mean? So I just wanted to make sure I did my part right. I'll be sure. A huge singer at the time. Who's on the same label as Guy introduces the group to the Apollo audience. Here to perform Groove Me, let's welcome MCA recording artist, Guy. Man, the Apollo was insane. It was more insane for Aaron and Teddy because they was in the front. I was in the back playing the drums. Oh, yeah, but the excitement was in the front row, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, the group in matching red jumpsuits and flanked by a pair of high-stepping male dancers launch into Groove Me by busting out a series of synchronized moves that immediately get the crowd in the front row on their feet. If killing it at the Apollo means you've arrived, then Guy has officially arrived. Tonight, baby, baby, please. When I get you home tonight, baby, it's gonna be all right. You're just you. Know. 
crowd went nuts. Sitting just a few rows from the stage, Barry Michael Cooper can't take his eyes off Teddy Riley. And just to see this guy's musical artistry, you know, he had the Herbie Hancock keyboard, shoulder strap, he went nuts. He went nuts. It was just insane. I was so happy for my brother, so happy for Teddy. And if you watch that Apollo show, it's funny to see how they were moving on stage. You, if, if you know them, you can tell the excitement and the movement. Like, it, it was like a nervous movement. But you got to know them to know that. And I, I laugh now when I, people say, Dave, remember this show? And I look at it and I go, yeah, I remember that, that we look crazy. It was like watching Cool in the Game, Kraftwerk, Blue Magic, The Temptations. You know, it was just, they were so good, man. Hold up, hold up, hold up. That was a game changer of a night. Unreal. Barry Michael Cooper's cover story on Teddy Riley for the Village Voice hits newsstands, and he coins a new name for the music guy is playing. This fusion of hip-hop beats with soulful R&B vocals, he calls it New Jack Swing. For him, it's music tailor-made for the world outside the Apollo that night. And so the term New Jack initially was kind of a, I won't say derogatory, but a pejorative. I wanted to flip it and show it as a new class of gangster that came out of this crack situation. So I turned it into almost like Nouvelle Riche, you know? And I also thought about a lot of that came from, I, I reread The Great Gatsby. So, you know, I'm like, New Jack Swing is the equivalent, the crack houses are equivalent to the speakeasies, and New Jack Swing is equivalent to the swing music of the Roaring Twenties. And so it became New Jack Swing. Guy's the standard bearer of a whole new style of music, but the group is different. Timmy Gatling is out, Damon Hall is in, and Teddy Riley is the one they're putting on the cover of the Village Voice. Why Teddy? Because while Guy's been getting big, Teddy's been getting even bigger. And Teddy's talent and his close connection with Gene leads to a question that will continue to threaten the group. Is Teddy Riley's talent too big to contain within Guy? He was hands off. This is the golden child, man. This kid was protected. That's on the next episode of Jacked. From Wondery and Universal Music Group, this is episode two of six of Jacked. If you want to help us spread the word, please give us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app to binge ad-free. In the episode notes, you'll find some links and offers from our sponsors. Please support them. Another way you can support the show is by filling out a small survey at wondery.com survey. Jacked is hosted and produced by me, Taraji P. Henson. Andy Herman and Rico Galliano wrote and produced this story. Consulting creative producer is Timmy Gatling. Associate producer is Melissa Duenez. Fact-checking by Sarah McClure. Consulting producer is Barry Michael Cooper. Managing producer is Lutha Pandya. Sound design by Marcelino Villapando. Additional sound design and mixing 
by Jeff Schmidt. Executive produced by Barrick Moffitt and Daniel Seliger for UMG. Executive produced by George Lavender, Marsha Louie, and Hernan Lopez for Wonder. Nancy's love story could have been ripped right out of the pages of one of her own novels. She was a romance mystery writer who happens to be married to a chef. But this story didn't end with a happily ever after. When I stepped into the kitchen, I could see that Chef Brophy was on the ground, and I heard somebody say, call 911. As writers, we'd written our share of murder mysteries. So when suspicion turned to Dan's wife, Nancy, we weren't that surprised. The first person they look at would be the spouse. We understand that's usually the way they do it. But we began to wonder, had Nancy gotten so wrapped up in her own novels... There are murders in all of the books. ...that she was playing them out in real life? You can listen to Happily Never After, Dan and Nancy, early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.